I'm Fred Eichler, and welcome to the Everything Eichler podcast, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And anybody that knows me knows I am not very technical. I can't even say the word I've tried before. Technologically advanced, so Julia's helping me run this bad boy. But I thought that while I'm guiding this week, that I would pull a couple guys aside and talk with them. We talked earlier. Uh, I sat down uh, with Christian from Remington. He's a marketing director there. Super, super guy. Just a good person. Loves his job. Loves the outdoors. So it was really fun to sit down with him and learn a lot about Remington. But also in the group this week, we have a couple of outdoor writers. Um, they would say they were famous. No, I'm just kidding. They wouldn't say that at all. But they're super nice guys. They're both avid outdoorsmen. But I also have the guy that I mentioned earlier, Big Jim McConville. Now, I've, you can't miss Jim, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk with him here in a minute. He's a big man, and and I talked earlier. Guys just do this, and maybe maybe little fellas don't do it, but guys on average just size people up. Guy walks in the room, you look at him, and you go, Yeah, no problem, I could take him. It's just and it, it, women don't get it sometimes. Some women probably do, but like my wife, for example, like I could say something, she's like. That's stupid. I'm like, it's a guy thing. I'll probably be doing it when I'm 70. I don't know why. And, you know, at 6'2 and a little over 200 pounds, there's not a whole lot of guys that I've had to look at and go, eh, I think I could, you know, that guy, that guy giving me a heck of a fight. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've just always been pretty confident male. Jim McConville walked into my camp the other day, and I got a really good close-up look at him. And he was one of those guys I went, hmm, can't take him. Jim, you're sitting with me now. I appreciate you sitting down with me because you are a fun guy. Well, and <laughs> you're a blast. I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit. You've got more sayings than anybody I've ever talked to. I don't even know you said about an Arkansas suitcase or something the other day. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me out. I've had a blast with the guys from Remington. Obviously, I work with some of the best writers in the in the business, and it's been great. I am a little concerned when you eyed me up because I felt bad for Michelle and the kids. I just didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to leave her, you know, without you. So, <laughs> I love it. We've been having so much fun this week. And I was just talking to her. It's a great group of people. I mean, like, sometimes you'll have a bad egg. You know, this whole group yeah. has been a riot. They've been fun. Everybody's gotten along great. But you've got a cool job in the industry. And, you know, I think a lot of people are fascinated with people that have really cool jobs uh, in the industry. And whether it's, you know, I've been fortunate, and of course, I run an outfitting business, and you know what I mean? We have the Everything Eichler TV show, but a lot of people think, oh, Fred's so lucky. That's all he does is hunt and play all day. Well, you know, when I'm on a tractor or I'm bucking hay bales all day, sometimes I'm like, huh, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. So you have hard days too, but you've got a pretty cool job. You work for OSG, Outdoor Sportsman's Group. Tell me a little bit about, and you're a trapper, so like we, we kind of hit it off. We and me were talking, and I, I was like, this guy's awesome yeah really it's incredible really to meet you it's been an exciting couple of days here um i feel i have one of the greatest jobs in the world because i get to deal with the shooting and hunting industry and it's been a great great experience for me i've been doing it 13 years i've met all kinds of just tremendous people in the industry and before that i got into trapping and i know you've done that your whole life i think correct yes sir yeah so to talk Since to before you. I could drive. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and and to talk to you about trapping and learn a lot of things, but to come out and never hunt a, a Marion and never be in Colorado ever. I've never hunted in the state of Colorado. You've never hunted in the state of Colorado. This is the first time I didn't. For, I was not aware of that. And, and what's crazy, Fred, when I got to meet you and talk to Michelle and your kids and everything, it's wild what you guys offer as an outfitter. I mean, you have it all. 
and you have it all on your ranch. Waterfowl hunting, predator nation or predator hunting, whitetail, elk, turkey. I mean, what more can you ask for, you know? I appreciate that. Yeah, you got a great place. Now, for people that want to know, and and I just think it's fascinating interviewing or talking to people just like we are now that are in the outdoor industry, what is your job exactly? What's your job title, and what do you do for OSG? Because you've got a pretty cool job. I'm going to make it real easy, Fred. I have tremendous employees I work with that make me look very, very good. Um, (laughs) That's key? That's key. Uh, No, I I do a lot with TV and uh, print and digital. Uh, Probably do more on the digital side than the other two. Our company is probably the largest media provider in the outdoors, which is awesome. You know, that's great. We have great TV, great magazines, great digital. So well, I get to work on all of that. And when you break that down, when he says great TV, great great print, great digital, you're talking about Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's Channel, Correct. MOTV. You're talking about titles like Guns and Ammo, Peterson's Hunting. Help me with some of these. There's a ton of them. Oh, yeah. You How know, many titles do you know? Oh, geez. I, I think roughly we're right around 20 or 21 different websites. I think two are media-related. The rest are based on the brands that we have. Uh, magazines, we have Wildfowl, Gundog, Peterson Hunting, North American Whitetail, Firearms News, Guns and Ammo. Bowhunter and Magazine. Bowhunter Magazine. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I should have said that first of all. Sorry, Fred. But no, <laughs> we have them all, and it's, it's incredible. And the people we have have been doing this like almost 30 years. So the information that those magazines and websites provide our reading audience is incredible. So. Well, people get educated that way. You know, it's funny, and I, I think times are changing a little bit. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier. You and me are pretty similar to the same age. Yep. And I think back when you and me were younger, like, I learned hunting and outdoor skills and woodsmanship skills from my father. My father was very, very uh, – and I won't say a stickler because I respect it a lot, but my dad was like, you should know every bird, you should know every tree, you should know every plant. And I can't say that I do now, but, you know, that was the way I was raised. You know what I mean? It's not just the animal that you're hunting. Fred, I want you to understand this, this, and this. But I think today a lot of people in the busy lifestyles that people have today and with, you know, both – you know, women and men working in the sure. workplace a lot of times, that kids are learning from TV, from YouTube, from, you know, any kind of a social media, TV shows. This is how they're learning to properly shoot a bow, to tune a bow, to reload ammunition, um, how to zero in a rifle. There's a lot of things uh, that people are learning. And I learned from that, you know, even back in the day, my dad was a hunter, but you know, I still learned a lot from the late Dwight Shue and reading yeah, his articles. Absolutely. What, what's really incredible, when you think about it, as a young kid, your dad was your mentor. And, right. And today, your family are mentoring many people with many species of animals that I think is wonderful. There, there's young men that are just getting married that want to go hunt deer. There's young girls that want to go hunt, hunt elk. That wasn't happening when you and I were kids. I don't believe. What do you think? Right. No, I think they're learning. And a lot of that stuff, they're learning it through the things that OSG provides. Yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, we are, I don't know what you think, but I think we're the giant in the industry. I think we've done a phenomenal job with what we provide for anybody that wants to learn something about shooting, hunting, fishing. I mean, that's probably the best place to start. Almost any outdoor pursuit. Right. I mean, I could turn on Sportsman's Channel or Outdoor Channel, and I'd be, I may be watching mountain biking, kayaking, fishing, 
you know, uh, hunting, bow hunting, or rifle hunting. Uh, you would know better than me, but I, I mean, it seems like from bass fishing, you know, to to hunting, the amount of information that OSG Out, Outdoor Sportsman's Group provides is awesome and inter- entertainment. It, it, it's great entertainment. It's very educational. I mean. Um, I think we have some of the best writers, and I believe we have some of the best TV shows in the business. What's your job title? My job title, I'm the uh, endemic sales manager of the shoot and hunting division or titles for our company. That's what I specialize in. Holy chowder, that's a big – how do you get that squeezed onto a business card? <laughs> Say I'm that a, again? I'm a big guy. Uh, <laughs> the endemic – I'm the endemic sales manager of the hunting and shooting titles of OSG and I have a great, great staff of people above me and below me in the industry that make me look very good. That's awesome. So are you actually the guy selling the ads? Like somebody's listening to this and they hear that gigantic job title, which is cool. <laughs> I think a lot of people think I have some type of disease. Endemic what? <laughs> yeah. What is it? So, yeah, I do get involved with marketing ideas. I do get involved with print ideas. We try to really help our clients. You know, some companies invest seven figures with us. Some people invest $2,000 with us, and I think we do a fantastic job of helping the client out. That's cool. So promoting guys, um, whether whatever they have. So it could be a widget that goes on your bow or your rifle or, you know, an outdoor boot, whatever. Guys go to you and say, we want to advertise this. Tell me if I'm no, you're, you're, this. No, you're right on. We want to advertise this in this magazine or this magazine, or this TV show. Is that basically kind of what you do? Yeah, and I'm and, and I'm not on the national side. I'm on the endemic side, you know. I haven't had the pleasure to work with Budweiser or Chevy or anybody like that, which I'd love to have that opportunity at some point. But I get to work with the Rugers, the Remingtons. You know, you name it on the hunting side, and I've worked with all of them. I think you know everybody because everybody I've talked to, I've even talked to other people, and they're like, oh, you know Jim McConville. I mean, it's like a obvious you should know this guy, but how <laughs> – I, I'm not trying to embarrass you. You are embarrassing. I, I know I, I am. I'm red in the face. You're, Fred, you are. You, you, you're, you're such a – and everybody that knows you is like, oh, he's a giant. And and I'd hate to see him mad, but he's a teddy bear. And from the minute you walked in here, you Thanks, have a Fred. smile. This, this is great. I'm a teddy bear. I'm, no, I'm sorry. I didn't make you. No. <laughs> no, I'm a grizzly bear, Fred. I'm, okay, a, yeah. I'm a grizzly bear. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. All no, right. you smile nonstop. And I love that. You have never not had a smile. I mean, I don't care if it's 345 in the morning or, you know, if it, you know it's 11 o'clock at night. You're smiling. And I love that. But you are kind of a big dude. Uh, my dad was six three and a half, right. And, you know, he was a big dude. But. How tall are you? I'm 6'4". I'm, I'm probably right away. about 290. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And not a lot of it's fat. I mean, a little bit of well, it is, but well, the majority of hey, it's muscle. It's a, it's a lot more fat now that I've been here with Michelle for three days. Oh, buddy. You know, and Olivia. Michelle and yeah, they're, yeah, they're taking care of me. <laughs> so I'm going to leave here a little bigger than normal, which is good. That's awesome. Uh-huh. But, man, you're you a giant. So do you just force people to, if they don't want to place an ad with you, do you just look at a mean? Do you, do you even have a mean face? Does, does does Jim McConville have a mean face? That, did, <laughs> that was just, it. He just tried to look at me mean and burst into laughter. That's hysterical. No. It, 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 listen, it's a fantastic industry. If I was selling cars, if I was selling boats, if I was selling pharmaceuticals, on the weekend I would try to be your best friend because um, I love to hunt and fish. And so if I couldn't do this, I would be doing something else but come Saturday, Sunday, or off days, I'd be out hunting, shooting birds, what have you. So my passion is truly in the outdoors. See, this is what's neat to me. And I, I talked about that, um, you know, earlier uh, when I had an opportunity to sit down with Christian. But, uh, you know, it was, it, what's really cool to me is the fact that you're a trapper, 
you're a bird shooter, mm -hmm. you're a big game hunter, oh, yeah. you know, you're involved in the industry. So not only are you working with, you know, helping putting people together, because that's really your job. You're a relationship guy. Correct. But you're, you're an avid user. You're an end user. You like anything associated with the outdoors. I really do. And you do it in your spare time. I love that. Well, and, and the thing is, you know, my parents were blessed to have a, a small chocolate company in Cleveland, Ohio. <gasps> and Chocolate? Chocolate. And during do they still have it? Uh, no, my mom, my aunt and uncle have it. My my parents are passed away, and they you didn't took bring a, me any chocolate. I, can't. I have a weakness. Well, I'll take care of you on that weakness. But no, so I got to learn a lot about manufacturing and packaging and what to do. And we actually, while well, I was part of the business, I think we got to like twenty two retail stores, probably four or five hundred people working there. So it was like Willy Wonka. It, that was really cool. <laughs> but still, on the weekends, it was still hunting and fishing. In 1990, before I got into the industry. You just had better snacks. Absolutely. But I developed a lure with a lifelong friend of mine, and we actually sold about 229,000 units in about 30 months. Did almost 600,000 in sales just for freshwater fishing. What? What kind of lure? Do I it know was, it? No, it's a spoon. It hasn't been on the market since the early 90s, but it won multiple world championships. It did very well with salmon. It was just a very unique product because – it was a spoon that was forgiving at speed, and if, I'll educate the, the listeners. It worked very well at one mile an hour and excellent at three mile an hour. And crankbaits don't do that, but spoons can do that, and we had something that did that. So it was really cool. That did it out of the house. Cool. So you went from chocolate and pursued your passion, and mm -hmm. this is cool because I didn't know that before we're no, sitting we're down right, right now. Right, right, but I didn't know that, but you went from chocolate to fishing lures into an industry you love. Do you still like chocolate? I'm sorry, i got to go back to the chocolate thing real quick because I just learned that. I, 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 I do. I love it. I just okay. love chocolate. Chocolate's not candy, and I'll let your consumers or I'll let your listeners think about that. No, chocolate has its own little body of food, I would call it. Seriously. Ooh, I like that. So, yeah. Oh, it must be good for you. <laughs> I'm going to start eating more. Yeah, you better. Yeah. <laughs> Bulk up. So, next year when I come I, back, I, know, I right? can throw your ass right there in a hay bale <laughs> out in the garage. <laughs> It'll be my pleasure. Yes. I'll check with the kids and Michelle to make sure all the paperwork's done. The I's are dot and the T's are crossed. Perfect. And then I'm not going to shake your hand. You, I'm not going to shake. We're just going to go at it. Listen, as soon as no, we no, see each other. Way, listen, I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm probably not going to hug you, but I'm going to give you a body grab. I like it. We're, gonna go we're just going to go right at yeah, it. Yeah, 2020, you and I'm, I will we'll have a body grab. I'm going to be thrown off, though, because you're smiling. All of, you smile all the time. And I love that, but I, I won't even take it serious. But well, I, oh, All right. Oh, okay. Next year, fair fair enough, Eichler. All right. We'll go. We'll go. Fred right. and McConville, we're going. Body grab. I like it. It'll be a body grab right. for probably about two minutes. Not a sexual minutes. in any no, way. No, no. Okay, just a physical. Uh, yeah, physical. Okay, no, no, no. Just making sure I didn't know how then, we were wrestling. And then when you break down and start crying, I'll probably let you go. All right. All right, fair enough. I'd like it. I'm sure you would. All right. <laughs> I love it. And I have to bring up the fact before, because I want to get Mike and I want to talk to Skip for a little bit. But sure. you shot a bird oh. that was like, I freaked out. We thought, you told me, I literally had set you in the blind. I set a decoy up. I get a text like, just shot a beautiful two-bearded bird. I'm mm -hmm. like, no way. Giant Miriams. Get up here. I look at it, and I'm like, <gasps> It's three-bearded. What, what's really crazy, not having any experience, <clears throat> excuse me, with your property, I think we had saw five turkeys before I shot that one. So, like, it was it was like being in the land of Oz. <laughs> I was waiting for the flying monkeys to come in and, you know, Toto with the dog. So, we shoot this turkey, and I'm with James Lawson over at Brothers, and he goes, oh, oh, my. He goes, that's a trophy. And I'm like, What? He goes, Jim. Yeah, turkey's a turkey, right? I shoot oh, yeah. them all. Right. Well, but then he gets a little bit excited, and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. 
so we see you you come down and get us and he goes jim that's pretty interesting and i'm thinking it's just a turkey and then you tell me it has three beards yeah and the smallest one's like over a little over six inches correct and i'm like wow so yeah, it's a very unique turkey. I'm very, very excited to have that opportunity. Thank oh, you, thank you for that. My pleasure. And you've yeah. shot turkeys. How many other places have you shot turkeys? Ooh, a lot. A lot of places. Yeah, you've yeah. shot a lot of birds. Is this yeah. the biggest bird you've ever shot? Uh, it's one of the biggest. It is probably going to be the biggest. I I don't know. Do you have, have any? Have you idea? ever shot any multi-bearded birds before? Um, no, I have not. I've been on hunts where someone has shot one, but I haven't. That's my first multi-bearded bird. They said that's a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Can you not, say that three times fast? No, and I'm not. Just try it. No, just try it for me. I'm Come not, on, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go there. Oh, that would be funny. I just got the eyes from your youngest son there. That was good. He liked that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's out there, I think, playing with some of those uh, Remingtons. He's having a blast. Yeah, it's been a great day today. Everybody got their bird, too. Hey, Nice work. Yeah, you do thanks. good work on turkeys. It's well, pretty thank cool. you, sir. Yeah, eight seven, for eight or seven for seven? Seven for seven, I believe it was. I was so excited. I thought we shot an extra one, but we didn't. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. For, fortunately, we kept with everybody that had tags, but it was it was fun, you know. And we stretched it out to the third day, um, which was fun, you know. Yeah, but turkey come. hunting, killing a bird isn't everything. No. Having that encounter, the birds gobbling, a group coming in, a big gobbler with four or five hens—that's electricity. When you're in a ground blind or sitting by a tree, and sometimes you just don't get the shot. You didn't right. do anything wrong. It's just turkey hunting. And we've called them. Every, what's cool for me this week is we've shot them across the board. We've shot them from. You know what I mean? Nine thousand feet up in the wilderness area. Mike when I got, yeah, I got it. Mike Scobie over there. Unbelievable. You know what I mean? Down to five thousand feet. We've shot them in blinds. We've shot them. You know what I mean? Fanning. You know, we've shot them, calling them up to decoys. I was so part. We've shot them. Listen to this. Everywhere. I was part. I think David shot his with a fan, and I tried to help you out a little bit with a camera, and I did a horrible job, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't get the footage that Fred needed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we fanned one in, and that was really like the first time I ever saw that. Isn't that cool? That was incredible. It really was incredible. Listen, if you go turkey hunting and you haven't seen that, you're in for a treat. And that I'm not trying to be mean, but to hide you behind a turkey fan is really kind of a joke. I mean, the, I'm sorry. The, the, body you, grab, the body grab could happen before I get on the airplane Oh, all right. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, pipe down. Down. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pipe down. I'll pipe down. Listen, man, thanks. I, I really wanted to spend a little time talking to you. I, I think it's interesting to talk to people in the – in the industry, right. I had no idea about the chocolate. I had no idea about the fishing lure. That was sure. really cool. And I think you have the perfect job because you are truly an outdoorsman mm-hmm. um, in every aspect. Like, to, to me, trapping has taught me more about hunting and, and who I am and pushing myself physically than anything has. So I love that you're a trapper. I love that you're a fisherman. And I love that you, you do a little bit of that. And I think something that's helped you and I, I believe this, I think as a trapper, you get super sensitive to – your own foot tracks or your own footprints, you know, tire tracks. Every place you're trapping gets very personal to you. And I think when you study detail, it makes you a great salesperson as long as you follow through. If you have a great study of detail and understand what the client's looking for and you follow through, you're going to be super successful about 90% of the time. Wow, that's a cool analogy to take yeah. it from trapping to sales. But, you know, even, even in life, I think, you know, if you notice those small little details that make yeah. all the difference, you know, and I have people go, oh, well, you know, trapping, is it that tough? And I'm like, well, you're trying to get an animal to put its foot in On one square inch. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, as opposed to the whole rest of the world. Yeah, it's tough. And and, and I and I had Jeff wearing a publisher from our um, bow books ask me, he goes, how do you do it? And I said, Jeff, think of it like having kids in the backyard at a picnic. He goes, Okay. I go, if I want to try to get a kid to step on a quarter, i got to put a lot of chocolate or candy out there to get them to step on the quarter. 
So there you go. Nice. You get to know what you're doing. But, yeah, it's cool. This has been a great experience. Never had a chance to hunt in the mountains. This past three days has been awesome. I'm well, really happy I had a chance to meet you and your family. Well, you got a cool been, family. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, I've enjoyed hanging out with you. It's really I've enjoyed fun. it. Hey, this isn't the end of it. You ain't going to get rid of me. <laughs> I'm going to probably be around a lot more. Either. Well, I don't have an option. You're too big to throw out. Well, good. That's, a ben- <laughs> that, that, that's an advantage for Jim. <laughs> Well, listen, thank you again. I appreciate it. Congrats again on your beautiful bird. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to sitting down with some guys that you know really well. I'm going to try to sit down with Skip Knowles before he goes. And I'm also going to sit down with his buddy Mike two, Scobie. Two great guys that are super knowledgeable. They're awesome to work with. Um, Skip and Mike have done a phenomenal job. I've known those guys about 11 years. So it's been great to work with them, too. Good well, people. Thanks again, buddy. All right, thanks. See ya. All right, so we are back, and like I mentioned, I was going to have Jim Conville from OSG. I was going to talk to Mr. Scobie, Mike Scobie, and then we're going to talk with Skip Knowles. And what's really cool about my buddy here, Mr. Scobie, is I have known him for quite some time, and we have hung out together multiple times, not only at shows where we've seen each other, but also doing some hunting. But we got to go out this week. You were here with the Remington crew and we got to go out this week and literally take a bird as high as I think we've taken a bird ever. Uh, we were up there close to that 9,000-foot mark on the wilderness area. Man, I had a blast with you. I'll tell you, I, I said this earlier, that was the most incredible turkey hunt I've ever had. And I've hunted them like you from coast to coast, all different environments. And usually turkey hunting is something done in the lowlands, around egg fields, and to get a chance to go up to that high country and you're being at snow line and having jagged Colorado peaks all around you and hunting in a wilderness area, that was really unique and made for a great hunt. And cutting bear tracks and mountain lion tracks. And, you know what I mean, those birds, we still had to work them. And, you know what I mean, it was like we had two gobblers with hands and they were back and forth and back and forth. And it was really, really cool for me. And you were definitely much calmer than I am because I was <laughs> losing my mind. I'm like, shoot him, shoot him. And Mike's like... Fred, just hold on. Let's, you know, the bird's at 35, 40, which super easy range for the V3. And Mike's like, no, let's, let's bring him into 20. I'm like, no, let's just shoot him kill, right now. Kill him now. Yeah, <laughs> shoot that bird. So I'm having a blast, you know what I mean? And really cool thing is I got it on video. So people are going to get to see the beautiful country uh, that we were in. And it's going to, you know, it's going to air on everything Eichler. But I've always respected your writing. You have a great way of writing. And I've always enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed, I like to consider myself well-read. I've always got my nose buried in a book or, you know what I mean, a magazine or something. I always enjoy reading about things I'm passionate about. And your history in writing and your history in the outdoor industry is awesome to me. So I'd like for people to know a little bit about you that, that are listening to this podcast. So besides being a very knowledgeable outdoorsman, Let's talk a little bit about what's your, what's your job title now, and then let's talk about what you were doing when I met you. Sure. Now, when I, I guess maybe even starting rearward moving forward, you know, my original introduction into this space was always been a participant and a and a big reader of hunting content, whether it was books or magazines. Or so I was a you know voracious reader. I was a passionate hunter, and you know, one of those guys that spent 250 days a year just hunting all DIY. You know, back in my 18, 19, 20-year-old range. And actually, one of your guests you're going to speak to, Skip Knowles, um, you know, he gave me my first job in this industry. You know, he graduated college, and we went to school together. And he got a job as an editor of a magazine, and he said, "Well, why don't you do some freelance writing for me?" So I started off as a freelance writer. How many people do get involved in this industry in the media space? And that was 20 years ago. 
And then from there, I became editor. I became editor-in-chief of Peterson's Hunting, and I ran that for 10 years. It was the second longest editor there next to Craig Boddington, who you know. And more that's recently. Cool. So, wait, so as far as Peterson's Hunting goes, I think that's really cool. That's a feather in your cap. You were the longest-running editor to Peterson's Hunting, Craig Boddington, who I also know and, and, and respect, he was he was the only one that's got you edged out on that by like a year. Yeah, that's like really year. cool. That's <laughs> I neat. really I really wanted to stick it out just because Craig's been an idol of mine since I was a child. Yeah, was really, I wanted to beat Craig and say I was the longest running editor at Peterson's, but I got promoted two years ago to be the group shooting publisher. So now I oversee thirty some titles for Outdoor Sportsman's Group, everything from guns and ammo to firearms news, and you know many titles in between, Book of the Air fifteen, but all the shooting side. So I've kind of transitioned the last couple of years more to the gun and shooting side. But my passion still is in the, the hunting market, and the, you know that's what I love to do, just like you do, is, the, is going around the world and seeing it and hunting it. And here's what I love about you, and, and it's what I love about a lot of the guys that are here this week, and that's why I wanted to sit down with some of these guys, is because, and I talked earlier, it's a pet peeve. I was talking with somebody, I was talking about, I mean, I have a pet peeve, and it's people that, no matter what they're doing, if they're working for a company, uh, but they're not really passionate, or they don't engage themselves in the sport. And my example was like baseball. I don't care... If you're selling the coolest baseball bat in the world, if you've never swung one, that I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. But you're always, you've always been an avid outdoorsman. We talked about your dad, which was really cool on the mountain the other day. You're super knowledgeable about all the flora and fauna. You were like, Fred, this is a morel. And we were up at, oh my gosh, we were over 8,000 feet. And you're like, there's a morel mushroom. And I'm like, you know what? I have never noticed any morels up here. Now we only found one, but you spotted it. But you're also a trapper. You don't do this just because it's your, you know what I mean, it's your job. You're out there every time you and me talk. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I'm trout fishing. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm setting muskrat traps. So to me, that makes you have so much more credibility. And I've always respected that about you. And I think your writing shows that. But how much writing are you still doing? You started out with freelance. Sure. Now that you're kind of running all these titles, how much do you write now? Uh, not enough, right? That is my passion. I really do enjoy communicating and writing. And, you know, if you do something long enough, you'll progress to a place that you, they phase you out of what you really like to do. You know? And so, <laughs> um, you know, now I don't get to do much. I may write half a dozen articles a year. In fact, I was just saying to our friend here that I hired David Draper to be the editor-in-chief of Peterson's Hunting. And I called him the other day, and I said, I'm going to fire you. And he's like, what, am I doing something wrong? And I go, no, I just want my job back. I want to be able to, <laughs> I gave you the best job I ever had. I got to hunt 200 days a year and I got to write about it and communicate and interact with people. And I don't get to do that, unfortunately, not nearly enough. Um, now, all my hunting, which is maybe the way it should be, is for me. You know, it's no longer work trips. It's no longer trips to go get a story to communicate. And I find myself doing things I did when I was 13 and enjoying them just as much. Like we're going to go, you know, snowshoe hare hunting. We're going to go, I ran a muskrat trap line this year for the, I haven't done it since I was a kid, you know. But I have that time now that I'm actually going back and doing things with my father, going perch fishing with him, and doing just those small little hunting and fishing trips that really is why we all got in this business in the first place, because we love to be outdoors doing hunting and fishing activities. Right. Now, if somebody wanted to see one of your articles, um, of course, they could Google you and, and look you up, but... What magazine do you write for the most? You said you may only do half a dozen articles. Now, do you have a specific title you prefer to write for? Because I really miss all your, you know what I mean, your opening, you know what I mean, uh, you know, what Peter says, your letters yeah. from the editor. Exactly. I couldn't come up with that. Thank you. But, you know, I always enjoyed reading those. You had some great ones, some hysterical ones, <laughs> um, as well as funny articles. But 
where would they look for? Like, do you have a one title you write for more than others? I guess I still write for Petersons. You know, okay. I, I still try to write for Petersons. If I have time to do an article, you know, I do it for Petersons or Guns and Ammo. I still enjoy Wheels of Field. You know, that's an overland adventure yep. magazine we started, and it's a really unique mix of everything from vehicles to guns to shooting to hunting to travel. And everybody goes, well, how, you know, what made you come up with them? Like, it's just whatever interests me. I like, you know, any of this stuff in here is stuff that I'm interested in. So, Wheels of Field, Petersons Hunting, Guns and Ammo is where I traditionally will do something for it. All of our stuff you can find online, you know, obviously petersonshunting.com or gunsandammo.com. You can read more information there. But yeah, no, it is, you know, as you know, you're a communicator yourself, whether it's visual, audio, print, whatever, you do all three. It's fun. It's fun to be able to share all those stories with people. And you even see it around here. Hunters, as a general rule, and fishermen are communicators. We sit around a campfire and we just love to tell stories. And, and people enjoy those stories, hearing them as much as telling them. So I think that's why, you know, this market, you know, whether it's the magazine or television market, is vibrant in our space because hunters, by nature, love to hear a good story. And I think 100%, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. And I was I was coming the other day, I can remember a story you've told me about about a specific hunt. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I can remember a story that you told me years ago about a hunt. You know, sure. these little things like that are funny, and, and that's a good way to put it. Hunters do. I think we not only enjoy sharing stories about our hunts, but listening to them because I enjoy somebody else's story as much as mine, and sometimes they're way better than mine, but it's it's fun to listen to. Sometimes they're so good, I'll actually take them and make them my own, right? Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll repurpose parts of them. There you go, so yeah. Good. Quick Boddington's got a lot of those that I'd like to just yeah. borrow from yeah. them and make them mine. So, real quickly, and one of the things that I, I enjoy about you, you've got a great sense of humor. Uh, everybody that knows you in the industry, you crack up, you're, you're, you are a crack up, you're wearing a Cabela's kilt right custom now custom made cabela's kilt yes i a uh, custom made cabela's kilt <laughs> that comes knee maybe a tad that's the part that's disconcerting it might be a tad above your knee <laughs> well it's a funny story with this i was going to go hunt scotland for red stag a number of years ago and that's a very you know storied hunt it's where they're naturally from and the scottish people take their traditions you know whether it's their tartan cloth and what they wear and their colors very seriously so I go, I'm going to get a custom-made kilt. So I called some friends of mine at Cabela's, and I said, hey, that outfitter camo you guys got, could you send me a bolt of that, like a whole roll of it? And they're like, for what? I'm like, oh, I want to get a kilt made. You know, that's, that sounds awesome. Can you get two or three of them made? We'd like one, too. So actually, a few guys at Cabela's have the same kilt. So I shipped them to New York and had this custom kilt this, I think it was the company, made them. And I thought it would be a big hit, right? I show up in Scotland, and they're super serious. And I realized really quickly, this is offensive. Most Scottish guys were not too pleased. No kidding. No, they, they took it as a, I thought it was funny. And right. uh, it's still talked about quite a bit among those hunting circles in Scotland. I still hunt with those guys and talk to them quite a bit. But and when they got to know my sense of humor. Yeah, they, they realized they, they you weren't doing it. I was not doing it from a place their of, culture. Right. right. But when they first saw it, they're kind of like, that's, that's offensive. <laughs> But well, looking at it now, I want you to know that I, I can totally see where they were coming from because <laughs> I'm a little offended myself. But it's more because of your legs. It looks like you're riding an albino chicken. You you have legs that are as white as mine, so it's not an attractive it's not an attractive thing for you to wear. I will say it's one of the more comfortable things. You really oh, really? It really? Yes. Do I need to Actually, give it a whirl? Actually, running in it is quite nice. Okay, so. yeah. If I could just ignore <laughs> that my legs are as white as yours, I'm sure, then maybe I could get over this it. This is called Montana. This is Montana white right here. <laughs> we don't see sun <laughs> no, very often. That's exactly right. You don't have that on your legs. So what's in, what's in store for Mike Scobie? I mean, you know, you are running, you know, and it's an enviable position. I think it's really cool that you've worked your way up really to the top. You know, OSG, that's, that's a very high position that you have. Um 
what else do you have in store? You got anything else exciting? Any other goals? You're going to write a book soon? Uh, you know, I'm just curious for people that follow you like I have or your career like I have, what's next? That's a great question. I've thought about it a lot recently. And career-wise, I've done more than I ever thought I would have done. I mean, just hands down, when I started writing articles, I, I could barely make a living. I mean, you made maybe $5,000 a year. And everybody looks at your position today and goes, man, that's a great job. How did you get there? I'm like, well, I spent five years making $5,000, you know. Uh, I started writing for Cabela's early on. And I remember I was living in Africa at the time, working for a professional hunter over there in a camp. And I, I planned to stay there. I planned just to be a professional hunter and, and live in Africa. And I, and I came home for Christmas, and I was writing for Cabela's as a freelancer. And the Cabela's offered me an editing job. I politely turned it down. And at that point, my mom pulls me aside. I was staying at their house over Christmas, and I didn't have a home, didn't have a car, really had zero material possessions. And my mom goes, Mike, you're, you know, you're 27 years old, 28 <laughs> years old. You made all of $10,000 last year, and you uh, have no 401k, and you have no medical benefits. You might want to consider taking that job. So I called Cabela's back and begged for the opportunity and went, back to, or went to work for them. That's how I really got started. But at that time, I never knew what this career path was going to take you to. And now, I mean, when you are in charge of the largest gun magazine in the world by far, I mean, Guns and Ammo is read by 11 million people a month. 11? 11 I did not know that. It's the biggest gun magazine in, in the, the world, world, hands down, by a large margin. You have a voice and you have a, a magazine that you can really help positive change in this industry. And I really get more enjoyment out of that today than any personal goals that if there are things you see in the gun culture or the hunting culture you have a voice and a platform to do something about it for good or bad you know you can use that for how you want but i really like to have that at my ability and like to continue just doing that you know being a voice for what we all love you know there's a tax on gun rights right now there's a tax on hunting culture there's a tax on public land i'm now in a position to do my part to try to help that and you know protect our rights that we all appreciate so i'd be very happy staying in this role and continuing to do that for as long as i can that's awesome. Man, and I wish you had more time, but you shot a beautiful turkey with me, and I know you have a plane to catch. <laughs> I do have to fly out here in a couple hours. <laughs> but I really, I, I very much appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. I'm looking forward to hunting with you again, hopefully soon. Uh, but I'll continue to, to read your stuff and, and hopefully send you guys some stuff that you might even, uh, I might even get paid for one day. I would love to do it. Thank you for having me out. This was a great time, as always. Anytime we come down here, it's always fun to hunt with you. Oh, I always always have a blast. Lots of laughs and, and your wealth of knowledge. I always learned something from you, and, and this trip was no diff, different. It was really cool hearing you talk to me about, you know, the mushrooms and, you know what I mean, some of the muskrat trapping that, the, that you've done. I've done some muskrat trappings, but trappings, I can't even speak. I've done some muskrat trapping myself, but to hear you – you know, the way you were setting up and the boards. and the, you know, I was like, man, that's cool. I love learning stuff. Isn't it funny? You, know, you arguably have been a more accomplished archer on big game than you know, almost anybody else in modern time. I've been lucky enough to do a lot of big game hunting on six continents. What do we end up talking about? Muskrat sets. I, how, how are we going to set them up and get them out of the water level? You know, and guys are like, what are muskrats worth these days? Oh, they're bringing $3. I, know, <laughs> like, right. I got a dozen of them this week. I was like, we're going we're gonna to get rich trapping muskrats and retire, that's so, I think. That's a, but that's what's awesome about people that are passionate about the industry and the sport. And I appreciate you, and I hope you'll continue to protect, you know what I mean, what we what we both love and what everybody that's probably listened to this podcast um, loves and, and, and holds dear. So please keep fighting the good fight. You too, and thank you for having me on. All right, buddy. All right, so I'm sitting down with the third musketeer. We did Jim McConville. We did Mike Scobie. And now I'm sitting here with Skip Knowles, who is somebody that 
when I met Skip, it was, of course, at one of the ATA shows or the SHOT show. You know, oh, this is Skip Knowles, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea until he first came out here how much we would not only have in common, but how passionate this guy was about hunting. And I say that because he was here, and we were hanging out over at the ranch, and I said, man, I'm going to go out and shoot frogs tonight. And he jumped all over it. This guy loves it, whether it's frogs, whether it's trying to trying to ankle trap a mosquito. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'm happy to introduce Skip Knowles. Skip, I've enjoyed your writing. I've enjoyed everything you've done in the industry. But give me your job title. And I, I'm, I just want people to have a sense for how passionate people in the hunting and, and, you know, shooting, really hunt, fish, camp, you know what I mean? I, any of that stuff in that field, what they're passionate about, where they got started, what they're doing. So, please, you work for OSG, but give your official title. Um, it cracks me up to hear you talk about passion because you are so out of context of any of it compared to the rest of us. We are Everyone in this industry is in it because they're so passionate about it. But when I met you... You meet so many people who, like, are on TV, almost play a character. And the first time we hung out, and I realized you're exactly larger than life, <laughs> most passionate person about the outdoors I've ever met. But I'm the editor-in-chief of Wildfowl Magazine, a great duck and goose hunting magazine, uh, Predator Nation, um, and North American Elk Magazine, both brought to you by Fred Eichler. <laughs> <laughs> who don't get, I love, I love, and I've been honored in the passage you've asked me to write for you guys, and that's really a cool thing. Writing is awesome. You know, uh, you know, I was talking to Mike earlier about being an outdoor communicator, and you are, and I am, and it's because when you're passionate about something, you want to share it with everybody, and when you're super passionate about it, it's hard to even believe if somebody doesn't love it as much as you. You're oh, like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. Maybe you just didn't do it right, or maybe maybe I'm not explaining it right. Because if you knew or saw what I see, there's no way you wouldn't love it. That's so funny. I just was talking to you about the uh, wolf reintroduction in initiative that's has struck. <laughs> that's a good word for it. Stricken Colorado, <laughs> and uh, boy, just to watch your reaction, which I won't even try and comment on, but it was nuclear. Um, and to see people who want to threaten, you know, what we hold so dear was a pretty good example of that. I was very fortunate early on to have an amazing father who was just nuts about hunting and fishing his whole life. And he was a high-ranking government bureaucrat, and he always wished he had maybe done, led an, another life, you know, and it wasn't something that opened up easily for him. But he looked at me when I was eight years old and asked me what I wanted to do with myself. Eight years old. And I said, um, well, I'm not sure, Dad. He goes, well, son, if you pe play your cards right, someone will pay you to do what you want to do um, for a living. And I'm like, right, Dad. Someone's going to pay me to hunt and fish. <laughs> even, even as an eight-year-old, I was pretty sarcastic. But he goes, that's absolutely right. There's these people called outdoor writers. I said, outdoor liars? He goes, no, outdoor writers. He goes, same thing. You know? <laughs> and I was on uh, an Air Force scholarship to be a pilot uh, back in 1991, and they wiped out our whole class. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, congressional. I was a, I was a ROTC cadet, went to boot camp and everything. And then, like all the um, haters of America, there were congressional budget cuts um, fell as soon as we hit peacetime, and the Berlin Wall fell, and the Cold War was officially over. They wiped out our entire pilot class, and and I said, to hell with you guys, I'm going to go be an outdoor writer. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, right, what's that? Because I know so many of those, you know. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I made them pay for their, their laughter. <laughs> yeah, you've made a career out of writing about outdoor pursuits, and that's really cool. Yeah, I got paid to hunt and fish since I was 22. That's right. Started in fishing and hunting news in Seattle, regional, and it was just the time of my life. 
and you've introduced a lot of people to that same career. It was kind of cool that Mike Scobie said that you gave him <laughs> one of his first jobs, you know what I mean, in, in this space, you know what I mean, in an outdoor space. And I think that's really cool. Do you remember you remember doing that? I remember meeting Mike back in uh, 1991 in college at Washington State University. That's how long we've known each other. And it was a, just a fantastic story because a close friend of mine was starting a, a salmon fishing business on the Kenai as an outfitter. And uh, Mike was at his apartment when I was hanging out with him because he's just a friend of mine. And Mike was uh, basically interviewing to become one of the guides. He wanted to do that at least for a summer. God bless him. Who wouldn't, you know? And uh, <laughs> we started talking, and I'm like, yeah, this place is great. I'm going to miss it because I was graduating. He was still in. And he said, uh, I said, there's some fantastic rabbit hunting around here. He goes, yeah, there's a secret little apple orchard. Since you're leaving, I'll tell you, it's it's over the hill behind here, completely out of sight. And they didn't have Google Earth in those days, you know. And I'm like, you what? I've been I've been back there, you know, at least twice a year. And sometimes it goes and there's a ton of rabbits and sometimes there's none. And what the <laughs> hell is going on? I know they cycle, but they're not cycling this fast. And he goes, yeah, I cleaned them out with a 44 Magnum. <laughs> Single action Ruger Blackhawk. And I'm like, oh, who is this guy? And then I talked about a secret smallmouth hole along the road bet uh, on the way to Idaho that no one could ever find because it was tiny and ridiculous. And he's like, that place is fantastic, especially if you use it uh, a three-weight, you know, with a woolly booger. And I'm like, ah, and it went on and on like this. And it became a love-hate thing. I was like but the Butch Cassidy movie when they keep looking back and see the posse behind them and go, who are these guys? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we've been great friends ever since. He's kind of slowly becoming almost a titan in the outdoors, and it's fantastic to see. And, and you know, it's a parallel journey. And it was crazy that I sold him his first feature article back in, I don't know when, the, the mid-'90s or so. That is really good. That, that's <laughs> cool history that you guys have known each other that long. Because you guys stuff. are both are pretty high up, really, in the you know, especially in the publication world. Hey, take it easy. Oh, <laughs> man, it is. That's, that's, that's really cool. And you guys released a new magazine and and SIP I think is the is the technical term yeah, in the special industry. interest publication stands right. for exactly special interest publication and they put you in charge of that which is a pretty big deal oh man um, when I heard we were doing an, an elk specific magazine and besides RMEF's um, publication that there was nothing else out there I've been a suppressed closeted elk hunter my entire life I think I Went on my first elk hunt, and we shot a huge record book bull with bows with an north, old North Florida redneck buddy of mine back in 1987. Wow. Uh, and I've been on and off hunting them since then, uh, mostly on, mostly unsuccessfully, but uh, it's been a great, deep <laughs> passion of mine forever. And when I heard my outdoor sports group was doing this magazine, I raised my hand and waved it wildly, even though I'm already overloaded. <laughs> um, I'm like, just wanted to be involved, and they tapped me on the shoulder to quarterback it, even though the it was a super short deadline and I'm like oh gosh this is going to be fantastic Fred help <laughs> help <laughs> that's why I was joking earlier that it was a North American Elk brought to you by Fred Eichler because he wrote just a glorious article in it and um, helped me brainstorm all the others and and just threw way more fantastic photos uh, at me than I could possibly use and it was something we badly needed and it came out to be received with incredible praise, and people are loving it. Um, and it's a, it's a deep passion of both of ours, and, and it's sh it's shown in that magazine. I appreciate your help so much, buddy. And where, uh, well, thank you. You know, I was honored to do it. Where, uh, where can people get that magazine now? Like, if somebody wanted to buy that, even though it's already run on newsstands, I think it's going to run again. Let's say somebody wanted to buy that. Where would they go? Um, it's being sold at a, at a bunch of different stores. You know, WalMarts and newsstands, uh, specifically. We were targeting the aspirational elk hunter with this magazine because the brainchild of it um, was a, a young 
deer hunter from Missouri named Layden Forrest, who's become a my publisher, my boss, and ha he, he's run North American Whitetail for some time. And um, he, he uh, visualized the magazine as targeting whitetail deer hunters who one day dreamed of elk hunting. And it became a lot bigger than that in ways that it just became an elk hunting magazine overall. But it does very w much speak to the wants and needs of those people to understand what they need to know in order to chase that dream and make it seem attainable and real. And to your question, right now, because of that initial vision that we saw about it, um, it's mostly targeted the Midwest markets and everything. And, and I found it here in Colorado, so it's, it, we're drizzling it throughout the Rocky Mountain West. Um, but I think in the future we're going to sweep the whole country with it because of the, the reaction we, we received. Um, we initially said, well, we'll wait and see how newsstand sales go before we uh, decide whether to commit to another one. And uh, as soon as everyone held it in their hands and saw the applause and the, the excitement around the magazine and advertisers wanted back in before we even announced we were doing an issue, wow. um, yeah, that just that was it. They already decided we're doing another one, and I'm looking forward to your help again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed the educational aspect about it. You know what I mean? You know, Primos had a, had a great article in there. Yeah. Um, was it Boddington had a great article in there? Um, who else had it? There was a bunch of outdoor writers that had some really good information in there and i enjoyed going through it i thought you guys really geared it to people and and i learned something from reading it too from everybody else's articles so that made it fun absolutely it was a uh, an immersive experience for me it turned out you know i've hunted elk on and off like i said for 30 years and you think you know a lot and boy you talk to a guy like will primos and i realized all this time i've had my collar just way too close to me and that hunting alone is very difficult and you need have to know other things to do that and and uh, it was really really fun mark kaiser is a guy who absolutely lives that that whole thing that whole lifestyle tony peterson is an aspirational midwest deer expert who's learned to go west and know knew exactly what to tell people in order to do it themselves and it, it was just wonderful yeah kaiser had a great article in there as well yeah i'm glad you, you could tell he knows his stuff and, and lives who, it you know who did that cover photo because that was the most incredible cover photo that you chose it's something that, uh, that editors struggle with all the time you know because our livelihood depends on whether that magazine sells and that thing is just so critical does the cover photo really just out of curiosity does it have that big of a difference on people picking it up on the newsstand it has a it makes the difference between whether they pick it up and one like the one you're talking about by Jason Loftus the, of that bull stepping from the shadows and bugling that just like makes anybody who cares anything about charismatic megafauna <laughs> about <laughs> about big animals that takes your breath away probably whether you're a hunter or not um, but what it the cover photo really makes a difference between whether you set it back down and no I, kidding that's yeah. interesting you know, I'm sure you guys have done all kinds of research on that but that's interesting so the cover photo really as much as the articles in it that makes a big difference huh Oh, man, it makes the difference between whether you read and like a magazine or love it. And I can honestly say this magazine that you helped me uh, put together so generously, is I, can, I love looking at it and knowing that this is one that nobody's ever going to throw away, you know, when they buy it. It does look like a coffee table. And a lot <laughs> of it is because it does. It looks like a coffee table book almost. But you guys did a great, a great job with it. I thought it was fun. But one of the cool things to be, besides your passion and, and all the research you did on, on – you know, putting a magazine like that together, which is a daunting task, you know what I mean? Getting, Because, you know, writers are, as you well know, <laughs> writers are, are writers and photographers are photographers. and try, It's like herding cats, trying to get all that to come into one beautiful piece of art. But what I love about you is you love everything. It's the same thing I like about Scobie and, and even Jim McConville, you know, who I talked to earlier. He's also with OSG. It's all you guys 
were outdoorsmen, fishermen, hunters, campers, long before you ever got involved in the outdoor industry. And and that to me is really cool because there's some people that get a job and then they maybe pick something up. You guys are all passionate and that's why you got into the industry. And that to me is is super cool. And it, sh- it shows through all the time, every time we're together, when we were shooting prairie dogs, when we were shooting scale quail, when we were shooting, you know, to be, when we were out the other day turkey hunting and you spotted, we're, we're cruising down, we just got back from a set where I, I think I walked you in a little over a mile to you know, make a turkey call up in the mountains. And we were going back through this little two-track dirt road and you were like, hey, there's something over there. And we <laughs> both looked and it was a beautiful chocolate uh-huh. sow with two little cubs, one chocolate cub, one black cub. And that was just awesome. You just had a blast wanting to watch those. And I love that. Bears are so animated anyway. And I've been lucky enough to bag a bunch of them and see I don't know how many. I saw 11 in five days elk hunting last year. But something about that whole scenario with that big, healthy cinnamon sow running for her life, going up a ridiculous steep cliff, forgetting about her young ones, and then remembering they're there and listening to, to the noises they made. And the way she looked skylined uh, on the top of that cliff was the way I'd never seen any other bear. And she's walking back and forth and huffing. It's why I will do anything to every time you call me to come down and do anything, even if it is just messing around, which it mostly is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go shoot some guns. Let's go brand some cattle, he told me a yeah. month ago. And I, I just couldn't quite make it, but I will next time. But I'll, get, I'll do anything I can to get down here on either of your ranches and just be there. The great excitement about getting to hunt these ranches with you is um, part of it's the normal hunt that you would experience on 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 good land anywhere but you just see so much freaking wildlife here we saw a bobcat stalking a turkey right by the side of the road um i saw was chasing elk um i mean turkeys gobbling at us um in one patch of pines and we saw six different of those tough deer weirdo skunk looking alberts abert squirrels squirrels, those are really cool and you know any small anyone who ever hunted small game would lose their minds just to see these things and they're legal game down here and and that one day we took off after shooting ducks and geese on your magnificent little fish-filled reservoir and you took me off in the saguaro charo how do you charo cactus (laughs) (laughs) i've only lived here three years and uh, we just slaughtered scaled quail, which I'd heard my whole life will just run and run, and you can't really get them, even with a dog. And it wasn't like that at all. We pounded them without a dog, and they would turn out to be like the best-eaten wild game I've ever had. Wasn't so. that delicious? I uh, love eating scaled quail. It's oh, absolutely man. awesome. Incredible. And I would just tell anyone who's listening, um, whether your passion is turkey hunting or, or big game of any type, because, I mean, he has every predator on her earth here, too. I think four kinds of foxes. Find a reason to treat yourself to a vacation with full-draw outfitters. And, and that's what I'd call it, not a hunt, but a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see this country and all these critters, man, it's insane. It, it's, it is. It's a, it's a blast. And that's what I know, you know, talking with you about stuff you enjoy that as much as I do. It's just seeing stuff and just listen to like that bear the other day, listen to her talk to her cubs. Go, 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 go. She's talking and the, the little cubs squalling. And what happened is she went up this rock face and literally she had forgotten about her cubs. Her first thing was, oh, defend myself and <laughs> let me get out of here. And then she realized, oh, the cubs can't make it up that rock face. So we're checking it out and one cub finally makes it and that other one just went to rah, rah, rah. And it was really cool. We sat there for a minute, and both of us were like, all right, probably time to go make sure that she grabs that other little cub. So, But that was neat. I'm probably going to show that on an episode of Everything Eichler, like part of our hunt. And, you know, I just I just enjoy people like you that are in the industry <laughs> that were passionate about everything outdoors before they got into it because I think that's the right reason 
to get into something. And just like your dad said, I think you said when you were eight years old, <laughs> I think your dad was 100% right. If you're lucky in life, you can get a position where people pay you to do what you love to do. And and we're very fortunate to do that. And in this podcast, it's one of the reasons I ask people about what their job title is, what they do, and a little bit of history about them. Because I think it's really cool. There are so many great paths or, or so many great career opportunities out there for people that are interested in the outdoors to, to step into. And you're a prime example of that. Thanks, man. I just can't, I can't, under, I can't state enough how much passion Fred Eichler exemplifies. He's oh, it's, A lot of us are pretty accomplished. We've done some cool stuff, traveled the world a bit, hunted a lot, but everything is so next level with you. It just absolutely kills me. Um, and just when I think I know you well, you get a little crazier. <laughs> <laughs> when, we, when we saw the bears, my first inclination was to load my shotgun if we were going to get out and do some filming. And uh, not my, yeah, my, sh- my 12 gauge at Remington's incredible, but um, Fred's the first inclination, we can tree him, and I'm like, we don't have a dog. He goes, what, we don't need a dog? <laughs> Who charges unarmed? I had a shotgun, I wanted to stand on the cab of the truck and watch, but, <laughs> but he runs off and chases a mother bear with cubs. Who does that? <laughs> He just thought it was He's like, awesome. We oh, can tree him most of the time, he said. I'm like, this is, you, you do this on a regular basis? <laughs> wow. When, when was he dropped? The one I slapped head? in the butt, that was one. That, yeah, that was, that was. Uh, do what now? Have you seen the video of the one I, I slapped in the butt I on YouTube? I have not. Oh, yeah. It, it was it was played. At MTV played it on their, uh, oh, what was the name of that? ridiculousness yeah <laughs> mtv played it on ridiculousness and they were making fun of me there's uh, we put it on our youtube channel because literally and it was so funny i gotta tell you it, it was the day after july 4th and i was sitting there with a buddy of mine and and it was so funny billy rub from red creek outfitters just a super guy and his wife and his kids were there and this was a few years ago and we had had a little great july 4th party the next day the kids are all playing in the yard trent comes running in he's like dad there's a bear on the dumpster. And have you ever said something and then regretted it? <laughs> Not more than once a day. <laughs> so, so I went, I should go over there and slap it in the butt. And I was just kind of sh- trying to show out, you know what I mean, a little bit. And I do randomly chase bears and tree them. But I had never slapped one in the butt before. But when I say this, my buddy Billy goes, you won't do it. Of course I take th- – I'm like, oh, yes, I <laughs> yeah, will. You and Michelle's looking at me like, oh, Fred. Not in front of, you know, and all the kids are watching. And, you know, Michelle's looking out the window, shaking her head with that. Like, <laughs> you're so irresponsible. So instantly I'm like, okay, I hadn't thought this through. Because <laughs> the bear's reaching into the dumpster and he's pulling out ribs from the day before. You know, he obviously smelled the good cooking. He's grabbing some ribs. So I go into full sneak mode in my white T-shirt at my car hearts. I use, like, the backhoe and Michelle's <laughs> excursion to sneak around. And when I get, like, six to eight feet away – I'm like, crap. And the bear stood there? Like, well, I, mean, I, I, I snuck good, but he was also <laughs> buried in some old ribs, you know what I mean, the ones we had thrown out. So he keeps going to the dumpster. And when I get that close, I'm like, man, I have to do it now. I mean, it doesn't matter if I die. Please I t- have said that I'm going to do this. <laughs> I have got to do this. Now, granted, this is probably a two-and-a-half-year-old bear. It's not a big bear. But still, a two-and-a-half-year-old bear would, yeah, yeah, they, would they tear kill, you a new one. They kill right? deer. I mean, yeah. yeah, come on. So I'm looking at this bear, and I'm like, okay. I said I was going to do it. I got to do it. So my only concern was when I slap it, is it going to reach around and slap back? Like that's going to be its first reaction. Ugh. So I'm thinking in my mind I can envision this bear like buried into my forearm. You know what I mean? And 
it was one of those guy moments where you're like, hey, there are worse ways to die. <laughs> I'm going to slap this bear in the butt. So as soon as it puts his head back in the dumpster really quickly, and like I said, <laughs> I'm one of those guys that's a lot braver in my mind than I am sometimes when I'm actually doing stuff because all of a sudden I'm like, all right, I'm a little scared. Everyone, I'm a little nervous. Everyone has a survival mode that right. comes on. So I slap this bear. The bear takes off runway, and I am running to the house as quick as I can. So oh, we, we literally split. We're doing it one, and you run it back. I don't even know, but my buddy, Billy, had videoed the oh, whole thing. nice. So we had that sitting around the house for a couple of years. My editor's over there one day, and he's flipping through stuff, and he goes, what is this? I'm like, oh, me being an idiot, I slapped a bear in the butt. He's like, what? He's like, oh. I do what We're now? putting that on YouTube. <laughs> so that's how that that's how that came about. But, man, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. I, I'm going to ask you one final thing because I, I like to think that there's people that are listening that are going, man, I, I maybe want to get into the outdoor industry. What would you suggest or what classes or what kind of a degree um, or is it even required for somebody that wants to become maybe an outdoor writer or maybe an editor um, like you are? Do you have, you know, a quick, hey, this is what I would do to help pursue this or some suggestions for somebody read 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 and if you're interested more in the social aspects watch and study but still learning reading outdoor writing and literature teaches you to write well and that's the fundamental part of any kind of communication whether it's social media or whatever the impact in the, of your words so learn to use words well would be the, the first thing i would tell them yeah that too brutus <laughs> Sorry, little Shakespeare. Quote. You sound like someone who might have gotten chewed up by an alligator or something. Yeah, yeah, that was a whole nother story. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. That's great advice. Um, reading and then you know query letters, right? I mean, well, you, know, you got you got to believe. You know, you hear about all these writers like Stephen King who had two hundred rejection letters stapled to his wall. You know, because he would his stuff was just garbage and nobody wanted it. Stephen King, you know, so you got to believe and you got to have that that uh, infallible belief in yourself and uh, and push in whatever direction you want to, but don't stop pushing, man. That's the thing. That's great advice. And not only career, but in life. Yeah, I think that's great. Real. You know what I mean? I, I get kind of tired of the everybody's a winner. And most <laughs> yeah, of the winners, sure. most of the winners that I know have worked really hard. Right. Um, so you worked really hard for the position you're in. I think Jim McConville obviously worked yeah. very hard for oh, the position yeah. he's in. Or he was just so big, he just threatened people and just got the job. Because that guy's a monster. Oh, my goodness. Mike Scobie, like, same thing. Another guy worked hard to get to where he's at. So I think that's great advice for somebody that's listening. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. I really enjoyed hunting with you, and I hope you get back down. I appreciate you having me so much. I just can't hang out with your uh, crazy North Florida, uh, South Georgia guides so much because I just heard myself say, and my, uh, you know, I'm from Florida originally, and I have that, that accent that will creep back. And I just said to you, do what now? Do what now? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was fun to actually get to go on a, a legitimate, uh, not a screwing around hunt with you and see just – well, I don't want to ever try and keep up with those long legs again, but other than that, it was a fantastic time. So thank you for having me. Enjoyed it, buddy. Well, thanks again. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast with both. Started out with Jim McConville from OSG. Then we had Mike Scobie from OSG that's in charge of a ton of different titles. Then we had Skip Knowles, not only an editor, but a, a great writer. Um, and I'd like to consider all those guys friends, but I hope that gives you a little bit of a peek into uh, some really cool careers um, in the outdoor industry.